growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's there, but you didn't realize he was there. God kind of works that way sometimes. Sometimes you may be saying, wow, what in the world is going on? Is God here? What's God doing? Is God behind all this stuff? Have you ever found yourself asking the question, does God have a plan for my life? Sometimes we can find ourselves wondering what God is up to. Sometimes it's hard to see clearly what God's plan is and what our part is in that plan. But as we'll see today, we may not always understand what God is up to, but we can be assured that God is accomplishing His purposes and plans. Sometimes it takes a while before you say, oh, oh God, oh, there He is. God is there. God is working. God is doing something. That is one of the things that happens sometimes in life. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our series entitled Alone, we're going to take a look at the life of a person caught up in circumstances that may have caused her to wonder whether God was at work or whether he was even involved. Esther was a young Jewish girl who found herself caught up in a series of events that she could not have imagined. She went from being just another pretty face in the crowd to being the queen of the entire Persian Empire. And as Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's and next week's messages, God was working to accomplish something far more important than just helping a young lady become queen. This is a great story with a great truth. There are no accidents with God. Now, here's Pastor Clay. God's working in ways that we don't always understand, right? That we don't always see kind of behind the scenes what God is doing. Right? How many of y'all are like uh, Rambo fans? Seen the Rambo movies? Three? There's three Rambo fans in here? That's okay. All right. Come on. Yeah. It's all right. You can say that you saw the Rambo films. I think think I've seen most of them. I think. And I'm not sure which Rambo movie it was. I was thinking it was the first one. And then I got to thinking, no, maybe it was one where he went up against the Russians or something. But I couldn't remember for sure. But there's a scene in one of the Rambo movies, if those of y'all have seen it know what I'm talking about, there's a scene in one of the Rambo movies where Rambo disappears like into the mud wall. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And you don't, you know, like the, the, the bad guy is like walking along and he's got his AK-47 or whatever he's got. And, and you don't, and you can't, and then all of a sudden he opens his eyes, Rambo opens his eyes, right? He's there like in the, and he's like, oh my goodness, there's Rambo. He's like in there and uh, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't end well. We kind of have a picture, we have a picture there, yeah. You can kind of see it. It doesn't end well for the bad guy. We'll, we'll say that. So, um, but there's this deal where it's like, he's there, but you didn't realize he was there. God kind of works that way sometimes. Sometimes you may be saying, wow, what in the world is going on? Is God here? What's God doing? Is, is God behind all this stuff? We talked about that some minute ago, about God's purposes and plans. And sometimes it takes a while before you say, oh, oh, God, oh, there he is. God is there. God is working. God is doing something. That is one of the things that happens sometimes in life. And we're looking at a biblical example of that today in our series alone. Alone in God's plans, in God's purposes. Or that feeling of like, man, I I really feel alone in this. I I feel like, you know, I I don't know who else is involved in this, and and I'm not even sure that God's involved in this. I just kind of feel alone in this. We find this story in the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is an interesting book, if you've never read it or read part of it or anything, but the book of Esther is an interesting 
book. Uh, one of the things that makes the book of Esther interesting is that it is not, in the technical sense, it is not a theological book. Theological meaning uh, focused on or, or about God. The book of Esther is not about God. That seems kind of weird for a book in the Bible, doesn't it? In fact, God's name is not even mentioned in the book of Esther. Do you know, as far as I know, it's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. The book of Esther is an historical book. Now, most of the books of the Bible are both theological and historical. In other words, they are about God and they deal with uh, actual historical places, persons, events. And so most of the books of the Bible are both uh, theological and historical. The book of Esther is historical. It records the events that transpired that created what came to be known or what is known in the Jewish culture today as the, the festival or the feast or, uh, uh, or the, the celebration of Purim. Purim. Y'all ever heard that? It's, I mean, I'm, if you don't run in Jewish circles, you might not hear of it much. It's called the, the feast or the celebration of Purim. Uh, it takes place, I just looked all this up, so I'm just giving it to you. It takes place on the 14th and 15th days of the Jewish month of Adar, which is the 12th month of their calendar, and I believe it coincides with, our, with March on our calendar. Every 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar on the Jewish calendar, they have, have been now for thousands of years uh, celebrating this Feast of Purim. The book of Esther records how that came to be. So it is an historical book, but just because it is, it is an historical book and just because God is not mentioned by name does not mean that God is not in the book of Esther. It does not mean that God is not working or moving or accomplishing purposes, purposes and plans found within the book of Esther. Sometimes things are going on kind of under the surface that you're not exactly sure what's happening or where it's going or where it's leading or, or what, what, what's, what's going to happen. And that's what the book of is happening in the book of Esther. Specifically, that's what's happening in the life of a young lady by the name of Hadassah. Hadassah. Is that anyone, one of y'all's kids? Y'all hear, y'all hear this? The young lady by the name of Hadassah. Hadassah, I, I, thought, I thought this book was about Esther. The book is about Esther. Hadassah was her Jewish name. But Hadassah, like all of the other Jews at that time, were living under the, the rule of the Persian Empire. And Esther was her Persian name. Okay? So, uh, we're going to see specifically how God is working, His purposes and plans. Now, let me just go ahead and say it to you, this is kind of a set-the-table one like we, we did a few weeks ago. We're not going to see the fulfillment of this this week. If, if Jesus tarries and He lets me stand up here again next week, we'll see the fulfillment of this story and how it all transpires. Today, we're kind of setting it up for, for how we're going to see the, the, the plans and purposes of God work out when, when he's like, whoa, what's going on? We're going to see that uh, next week. But today we're going to begin to just set up the story and we're going to hopefully draw some very practical application for our lives that we can use. Uh, but next week is when we'll really see the fulfillment of this, okay? 
So keep that in mind as we're walking through this text. Just because it's not theological in the technical sense doesn't mean that it's not about God. Now, this is going to be kind of weird, but I'm going to actually begin reading in a part where you're well into the story. I'm going to begin reading in in chapter 2 this morning, uh, verses 5 through 10 of the book of Esther. If you have copy of God's Word, you can turn there. The text will be up on the screen as well. So it's kind of weird in that I'm just kind of jumping into the middle of this, but we're going to read this passage, and then I'm going to begin to walk through the narrative, the story as it unfolds, okay? And hopefully it will, it will make sense. And you've got to come back next week and bring somebody with you because you really want to see how the purposes and plans of God, how, how they're working in ways sometimes that, that we, we can't even uh, see necessarily what is going on. Okay. By the way, we ought to be able to make really good application for this in our lives because, because, as I said, the name of God's not even mentioned in the book of Esther. The name of God is rarely mentioned in our culture today, certainly not in the way that it should be. And, and God is oftentimes working in ways that we're not quite sure what he's doing, so there's application for this in our lives. So I'm going to read Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 10, then I'm going to give you kind of an overarching statement, and then we'll walk through the narrative, okay? All right? You're here? You're glad you're here? No place on the planet you'd rather be than worshiping the living God here with your brothers and sisters. All right. Uh, Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. I think it's where I'm starting uh, in verse 5. Now, there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemi, the son of Kish, a Benjamite who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up, he, meaning Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. They had died. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And so it came about when the command and the decree of the king were heard, and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women." Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, so he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. So, here's the idea I want to start with, the overarching idea I want to start with uh, today. Coincidence is providence misspelled. That's just my clever way of saying that, that at times when we think, wow, that, that was, wasn't that a coincidence, or how did that work out, or why that, or whatever, that, that actually God is sovereign, and God is at work, and God is accomplishing purposes and plans at times when we don't even understand what he is doing. And the truth is, coincidence is simply providence. In other words, providence, the, the, the purposes and plans of God. I think I, I could. I think I could say this safely. There, there are no coincidences with God. God is at work. So we jump into this story about Hadassah or Esther. Let me just try and fill in the backstory. 
Persia was the top dog of the world in that day. The Persian Empire was the top dog of the world in that day. It was larger than any other empire had been up to that point in time. The Persians had conquered the mighty Babylonian Empire. And some of you may remember that the Babylonians had conquered a whole bunch of other people, including the nation of Israel. They had conquered the nation of Israel, and they had carried many of the people of Israel off into captivity, had carried them back to to Babylon. The Persians have now, when we come to this story, the Persians have now conquered the Babylonians. You with me? The Persians have now conquered the Babylonians. They eventually begin to let some of the people of Israel return to Israel. They begin to let them reestablish the nation of Israel. But always, whether in Persia, whether in Israel, wherever they were, but always at that point, the people of Israel were living under the dominion, under the rule of the Persian Empire. Okay? The Persians are in charge. The Persian, Persians are in uh, control of the world. It was an empire that reached from India to Ethiopia. And Israel and the, and the Jewish people were just a small segment of this vast empire that, expand, that, that reached thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of miles. Mordecai was a Jew who, coincidentally, did not return to Israel when some of the captives were begin, allowed to begin to go back. Mordecai had not returned to Israel. We don't know from a human perspective, we don't know why Mordecai didn't return to Israel because that would have certainly been his longing, you would think. But we will know as the story unfolds, particularly next week, why Mordecai did not return to Israel. You with me? Mordecai is a Jew living in the capital, or more properly, I think, the winter capital of the Persian Empire, which was Susa. Now, Susa, as I said, is a winter capital. If, if you are, uh, just like today, people with means, that they, have, they have financial means, they have wealth, people that, that let, have that uh, generally tend to, if they have the financial means to do so, they want to go to a warmer climate in the winter. They like to live in a warmer climate during the winter. Any of you feel that way? Right, you just don't have the financial means to do anything about that, right? You can't, <laughs> so maybe you do. God bless you if you do. But uh, so, so that was the case with the king. The king had the financial means to do so. And so he had a capital in uh, Susa, a, a warmer climate than, uh, than, than where the, the normal capital was. The king's name, as it is shown in, in, here in the book of Esther, uh, is Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus was essentially the Jewish translation, or I don't know if it's translation or transliteration, of, of his Persian name. But in, in, in secular history today, we would know Ahasuerus as Xerxes, or Xerxes I. He, he was the same person, he's sometimes referred as just Xerxes, and Xerxes I. Okay, you with me? I told you it's a historical book, didn't I? Right? God's going to show up. Y'all ready? God's going to show up. He's going to show up here in a little bit. So, um, so uh, Xerxes, and I'm just going to, for the most part, refer to him as Xerxes. Xerxes is in his winter capital in Susa. And there in his winter capital, among the capital, is a, is a, a man by the name of Mordecai living, a, a 
Jewish man by the name of Mordecai who is raising his, I guess technically, uh, it would be his cousin. He obviously was much older, um, but the text seems to say that, that uh, Hadassah, Esther, was uh, his uncle's child. They were dead. He's raising Esther as his own uh, child living there in Susa. You with me? Persia's the top dog. They rule the world. All right? So, uh, uh, Xerxes uh, is a guy that, uh, well, let me say that. Let me give you a little heading before we start this, I guess. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to break this story down into like three different sections. We're only going to get to the first section uh, today. But you'll, I think you'll understand the story unfolds. Let me start with, with this uh, idea today. Big egos, big trouble. Big egos, big... Can y'all say that with me out loud? Big egos, big trouble. Does the person sitting next to you have a big ego? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Does the person sitting in your seat have a big ego? <laughs> we'll, we'll define ego in a minute, but... Big egos, big trouble, all right? Xerxes is a guy that has lots of stuff, and he likes his stuff, and he likes to show off his stuff. He's got lots of stuff. I mean, he, he's got the largest empire in the world, right? I mean, so anything that was available in that day, Xerxes, I'm sure, had it. Xerxes liked to show off his stuff, and he liked to show it off to as many people as he possibly could. So Xerxes uh, decides to have a party, a banquet slash party. And man, does he have a party. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, in verse 4, it says this. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory... And the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. Now you do the math, by, by our calendar, that's six months. Six months of partying like a rock star. This was a party that he, and, and if you read the text, you can go back and read the text, he had invited all the who's who, the social elite, the, the important political figures of the entire empire, which would divide into 120 different provinces or districts. All of his counselors, all of his advisors, all of his generals, all of his prime ministers, all of his political heads of state, all the who's who of anybody has invited to this party. And for six months, they, they are partying. Now, I don't know who's running the country while they're partying for six months in Susa, but they are, they are they're partying. I, I don't know who's running the country while they're hanging out with the most interesting man in the world, if you catch my drift, but... Uh, whatever the case may be, they're having, a, they're having a, a time. They're having a time in there. So, in the midst of this uh, party, right? In the midst of this party, uh, Ahasuerus decides that he, he, wants to, he wants to show off his queen. Now, keep in mind, uh, I think I said this earlier. If I didn't, I meant to. This is, this is the Persian Empire, Okay. They don't believe in the one true God. They're not following the one true God, so they're not doing life the way the one true God. So when you read, and we just read that moment, we read about harems and and drunken festivals, and all this, that's not what God desired for their life. It's just the culture that they they lived in. Much like stuff that goes on in our culture today, it's not stuff that God would desire to go on in people's lives, but it it does, right? So at but but what happens is uh, uh, Xerxes has this party. At the end of this party, he has another party. It probably is like the culmination of this six-month party. But he has another one that lasts for seven days. And in this one, not only all the, all the princes and all those guys, whoever's all there, but he invites everybody that lives in Susa. 
Rich, poor, whatever the case may be, they all can come, they can hang out in the gardens there of the, of the palace and all that kind of stuff, and they're having, for seven days, they're having a party, right? At the same time that Xerxes is having this party, his queen, by the name of Vashti, is having a party, okay? I think it's in uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Belonged to King Ahasuerus. In other words, they were his wives, multiple wives, maybe concubines too. The text doesn't say concubine. I don't know in that context what much difference is, but they were simply women that didn't have an official status as a wife, but the king kept, kept them around for sexual purposes. I mean, that's... And that's basically was the purpose of all these wives, too. He's got, he's got all these uh, wives, right? So he has all these wives, but he only has one queen, right? She's his wife, too, but, but she's also queen. There's only one queen, and that's Vashti. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Vashti uh, liked to show off her stuff, too. Because these, all the other wives are gathered in here, Right? Right, they're all there, and and you just you can just read between the lines. Uh, she wants to make sure that they understand that she's queen bee, right? I mean, they may be wives, but she's the queen, right? I mean, it's just the natural inclination. You just know that's going to happen. She's the queen, and she, and and she's the text says she's beautiful, and I'm sure she's got you know much more expensive jewelry than all the rest of them, and finest clothing and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure all that's going on, and and so she's having a party for all of. Xerxes' wives. I'd like to have been a fly on the wall of that party. And so, <laughs> and, and so everybody's partying. And I suspect, I suspect there was plenty of ego to go around. I suspect Xerxes had plenty of ego. He, he, and, and, uh, he's showing off his stuff. He's proud of his stuff. And I suspect Vashti had her ego, her pride, because she's, she's beautiful and she's, she's the queen and she's better than all the rest of them. So there, I'm sure there's plenty of ego to go around and there's about to be a collision of egos. Because in uh, verse 10 then, it says this and following. On the seventh day of, of, of his culmination party, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, I'll bet it was, this has only been going on six months, <laughs> he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abgatha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of, of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes. For she was beautiful. Guys, y'all, you wait till you see my queen. She is awesome. I mean, she's, she's spectacularly beautiful. She, you just wait till you see her crown. Wait till you see all this stuff. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Yeah. <laughs> then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. Clash of the egos, right? I mean, listen, you put, put yourself in, in Vashti's shoes, right? She's having a party for all the wives, all, however many, all, all the women that, that had one purpose. They have one purpose, to show up when the king calls. If the king calls you, you come. If he wants to be with you, he'll let you know. If he calls, otherwise, sit there and look pretty. I mean, that, that's their role, right? But she's the queen. She's Queen Vashti. So imagine the embarrassment when in the midst of this party and meeting with all these other wives, she suddenly is informed that she has been summoned by the king to go and to be in his presence. In her, I'm telling you, in her mind, 
She, she's looking like all of a sudden I'm no different than the rest of them. They have to come if the king calls. Now all of a sudden I'm summoned. I have to go in the king's presence. Pride. Ego. He says, no, I, I, won't, I won't go. You, I can see her. All the women are going, you tell them no. You tell them I'm not coming. Now put yourself in Xerxes' place. Because, I mean, he's been at it for six months, right? He's been tying one on for six months. And at the end of this thing, the culmination, and everybody's there. The rich, the poor, the elite, the everybody, they're all there. And he's bragging about his queen and how awesome she is, and how beautiful she is, and how fantastic she is. Uh, excuse me, uh, king. Uh, she, she, won't, she won't come. What? She, she, won't, she won't come, queen. She said no. <laughs> this is the guy that's supposed to be the ruler of, of the biggest empire in the world, and he can't even rule over his wife. He can't even get his wife to come when he asked her to come into his presence, and all he wants to do is show her off. He's got a trophy wife, and he wants to show his trophy off. And she won't come. So you imagine the embarrassment on his part then and the, and the ramifications that it has for his kingdom. If he can't even get his wife to do what he asks, how's he going to expect all these governors and, and leaders and all these guys that are all looking for a leg up, right? They're all looking for... How's he going to get them to do anything? Big egos, big trouble. Sets the stage for all of this. Okay? Now, let me just say... Let me just, if I can, just say this here. Pride. Ego, just make a little practical application. It, it just leads to big trouble. In our lives, in all of our lives, the potential for, for pride to rise up and, and to think, you know, well, no, uh, no, or, well, I didn't deserve, or they shouldn't have said, or that. Listen, can I say this to you? The, the overwhelming, maybe every bit of them, but the vast majority of relational issues that you and I have in the church, outside the church, in the home, outside the home, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, uh, on the ball field, wherever it is, at school, the vast majority of relational struggles that you and I face always come back to pride and ego. I want what I want, or I think what I think, or I don't want them to get one up on me, or I don't want to be hurt, or they hurt me, or they did this, or that. It's always coming back to that issue. I'm telling you, it is. And all of us, we, we, can, we can be guilty of it, right? It just, oh, they hurt me, or they did this, or they did that. In your home, right? And you, if you're married, in your marriage, the struggles, the disagreements, the arguments, the knockdown drag, whatever you want to call them. The vast majority of them take place when we have a disagreement over, over this or that. Over I want my way or she wants her way. Or, or uh, he hurt me or she said the wrong thing or it's coming back. You see where it's always coming back? It's always coming there. It's always coming there. I'll, I'll tell one on me and Cindy. Uh, last, uh, my wife's like, oh my God. No, we're, 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 both, we're both in this. We're both in this. Last, uh, I think it was just last Sunday night. Uh, we're, we're this. It's dark. It's, I don't remember what time it was, but we we're sitting on the couch, and I'm watching a football game and a Christmas movie simultaneously, right? Because I'm because I'm am a guy, right? We can we can do it both times. So I'd flip back and forth between the football game whenever something's happening and to keep up with the what's happening in the Christmas story, right? And Cindy's sitting there too, but she's not interested in either the Christmas movie or the football game, and so she's watching something on her iPad and she's got her earplugs in, right? And uh, so she's, she's watching her, her whatever she's watching, and I'm, I'm watching what I'm watching. That's okay. I mean, you know, it's all right. Don't have to always like the same thing. But anyway, uh, whenever she finished watching whatever she's watching, uh, and she took her earplugs out, well, the TV was loud. The TV was loud, right? I'm a, I'm a guy. We like the TV loud, right, guys? 
Come on. Don't, especially football games, right? Football games meant to be played loud, right? And so when she took her earplugs out, I happened to have flipped back to the movie uh, to catch up, you know, with the plot. And so it was kind of loud and the dialogue was loud. And so Cindy takes her ears out and she, and she says, why, why, did you, why do you have to play it so loud? I don't understand why you have to play it so loud. And I said, because you're trying to talk to me and I can't hear what they're saying in the movie. <laughs> Any of you that are or have been married understand what I'm about to say. The look. Do y'all know the look? The look showed up. And she said, you are, that is mean. That is, that is just mean. You're mean. And she picks up her iPad and she, and she, and she you know, storms out. Wham! Slams the bedroom door. So, I'm like, I, I really wasn't trying to be mean. I was trying to kind of be funny. But I was probably kind of a little irritated too because I was trying to hear the dialogue and, and she's talking over the dialogue. And, and so, so, so just at, at the, I'm just about to get up and I notice on the TV, on the screen, that something about Downton Abbey, you know, of course, the show's gone, but it's like, can't get enough of Downton Abbey. The show's coming, can't get enough of Downton Abbey because all the ladies are addicted to Downton Abbey. So I get up and I go in the bedroom and I open the door and I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was kind of trying to be funny. And there's something coming on about can't get enough of Downton Abbey. Wham! And went back out the door. It's the truth. What is it? it it's, it's just ego. It's just pride. It's just the idea that, that you hurt me or I, I hurt you or you said this or, or I did that. Or it's, it's, I'm telling you, that, that's, what, that's the relational struggles and issues that I have. It's always coming back to me and me wanting my way or me thinking I'm right or me thinking this or that or whatever. Whether you're talk, and you can talk about it at work. You can talk about it at school. You can talk about it at, at wherever the case may be. It's always coming back to that idea. Okay? That's just the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. So... What is the solution? The biblical solution, you already know this, is always humility. Always humility. Always humility. Which simply means, by the way, because I think we just sometimes misdefine humility. Humility simply means to think more of her than I think of myself. That's simply what humility is. To think more of you than I think of myself. And obviously to think more of God than I think of myself. By the way, every time you choose to do something that God doesn't want you to do, you've thought more of yourself than you have of God in that moment. Ladies, what, what would your home look like if you simply humbled yourself every time and respected and honored your husband in a way that Scripture commands you to do so, whether he deserved it in that moment or not, what would your home look like? Guys, married guys, what would your marriage look like if you honored and respected and put your wife's interests ahead of yours whether she deserved it in that moment or not, and expressed to her your unconditional love for her, what would that do to your wife? What would your, what would your marriage look like as a result of that? In the same extension to the workplace, it's always coming back to this biblical principle of, of thinking more of the other person than thinking of myself. Let me show you a few passages of Scripture before we close uh, this morning. Proverbs eleven two: when pride comes, then comes dishonor. It's, it's just, it's just gonna, when, it, when it swells, air comes. But with the humble is wisdom. It's, it's wide. You're just doing the right thing when you just, wait a minute, it's not about me. 
not about me. Uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. So many passages deal with this. I'm giving you just, just a few of them. Um, I think Ephesians chapter 5, I think it is. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's just, by the way, it's just before he goes into the whole thing about husbands and wives and all that stuff. But in, chapter, in verse 21, it's really in the context, he's saying the body of Christ as a whole. To, to uh, submit to one another. In other words, and to submit simply means to, to, put, to put yourself underneath them. They're more important than me. Their needs, their wants are more important than mine. That, that's what the body is called to do to each other. Wow. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Imagine what this body would look like if every one of us treated the other person as if they, all the time, as if they were more important than I am. Getting their way, choosing what, what you know, all that kind of stuff. What, what would this look like if we're always worried about your best interests first instead of our own? 1 Peter 3.8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Over and over again, this is biblical principle. And then in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. In the church, in your home, in, in the workplace, at school, to think of others as more important than you. Uh, why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, uh, in James 4, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. What is he saying? What, all he's saying there is, listen, you just let me handle this. Oh, but, but if, I, if, I, if, I, if I don't say something, he's going to da-da-da-da-da. And the text is saying, hey, why don't you let God handle that? All you got to do is just humble yourself before me, before others, and 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 leave it in my, in my hands. That's, that's what it comes down to, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a matter of a big, big ego leads to big trouble. We all have it. We all have ego or pride or, you know, and when it gets hurt, it hurts. We don't like somebody doing this or taking advantage of us or that happening or, or that whatever. But it leads to trouble in the relational aspect of our lives and, and that sort of thing. It led to, to big trouble for uh, Xerxes and and, and for Vashti, and uh, we're going to see how God's purposes and plans are working in all of it, how he's accomplishing his purposes. But this is a practical application just to say to all of you that if we can just, this, this idea of living humbly before God and before our fellow man, brother and sister in Christ, it might be a, a, a waiter at the restaurant, it might, might be the UPS guy at, at your door or that you go to mail something, it, it, it might be your spouse, it might be uh, whatever, you can fill in the blank. But to humbly walk before God, it's not an easy thing to do because our flesh fights it every step of the way. Which is why we have to be controlled by the Spirit, as the Bible tells us over and over again. And we don't get it right all the time, do we? But the more we submit to Him, the more we get to know God, the more we find His power equipping our lives so that we begin to understand it's okay. If, if I get misunderstood or taken advantage of or somebody, you know, well, they didn't do this, so I'm, I'm out of here, whatever the case may be. We honor God, God honors us. I say that all the time. Next week, it's really going to, we're going to see how this progresses and how God's working in all of it. And what we're going to discover is that there are no accidents. There are no coincidences with God. It's only the providence of God accomplishing His purposes. 
Well, there's a lot more to this story that we'll get to next week, but already we can see that God is always at work even when we don't realize it or understand it. It may have seemed like coincidence or luck played a part in Esther coming to the throne, but it most certainly was not. And as Pastor Clay showed us from the book of Esther today, big egos lead to big troubles. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to humble ourselves and put others above ourselves. Our pride doesn't like that, and if we let it, our ego can get us into trouble. Next week, we'll pick the story up and see how God was at work through the life of Esther. We're going to continue to see, as Pastor Clay put it, coincidence is just providence misspelled. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.